We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And away we go, episode 116 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Thursday, August 5th, 2021. The Spencer Dinwiddie watch is over. He is coming to the Wizards. If you are losing sleep over Spencer Dinwiddie, you need lose sleep no more. I have to tell you, that last name, uh, that is such a Wizards last name, isn't it? Dinwiddie. Spencer Dinwiddie. Dinwiddie just sounds like the name of a Wizards player. The damn Washington Wizards. Yes, exactly. Uh, My breakdown of the Wizards deal for Dinwiddie, at least as much as we know about the deal for Dinwiddie, coming up next segment, including the overall shift in philosophy that this acquisition may represent. Busy show when it comes to the Washington football team. We on Wednesday had an announcement from the team of updated stadium policies and protocols for FedEx Field in 2021. Boy, that's a popular word these days, isn't it? Protocols. Have you ever in your life heard the word protocols as often as you've heard the word protocols over the last 18 months? I dare say no. But anyway, the changes at FedEx Field include a banning of Native American-inspired ceremonial headdresses and face paint. I want to talk about that coming up in just a bit, as well as the potential nuclear showdown that's potentially looming the banning of all Redskins gear at Washington football games at FedEx Field. Lots of football with the Washington football team to discuss as well, including more high praise from Ron Rivera of Samuel Cosme and James Smith-Williams. 2021 Washington training camp is old enough now to where we have a sense on which player's stocks truly are rising Those two guys' stocks are definitely rising. Ron, at his post-training camp practice press conference on Wednesday, also had good stuff to say regarding Jamin Davis, Cameron Curl, and Steven Sims. So a lot of Washington football team talk 
is coming up. I will discuss the Nationals. Uh, Yes, they did lose again on Wednesday night. Now are in danger of being swept by the Philadelphia Phillies in four games at Nationals Park. But Wednesday night was a good night for three young Nats position players. Victor Robles, Carter Keboom, and Luis Garcia. And that matters a lot more than the outcome of a game matters for the Nets right now, as the Nets are rebuilding for at least the rest of this season. We'll see what next season's Nets look like. I am in no way convinced that this is or should be a long-term rebuild. Oh, by the way, Max Scherzer made his Dodgers debut late night on Wednesday night, a uh, vintage Max Scherzer start. He gave up a homer in the first inning because that's what Max does, but he ultimately allowed two runs in seven innings with 10 strikeouts because that's also what Max does. Los Angeles beat the Houston Astros 7-5. I mentioned long-term rebuilds. Uh, The Orioles, uh, they are in the midst of quite the rebuild. They got wrecked at the New York Yankees on Wednesday night for a second consecutive night. But Matt Harvey did extend his scoreless inning streak into the 20s. He did do that. Uh, The former dark knight of Gotham for at least a little while was back to thriving in Gotham in New York. Uh, And then the rest of the game happened. I'll talk O's late in the show. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Tony Andrews. He writes simply, keep the intro music. Ah, yes, another fan of the intro song for this podcast. You can't help but like the intro song after a while. That's one of the greatest turnarounds in podcasting history. The initial divisive nature of the intro music for this podcast to now this near universal love for the intro music for this podcast and the affection for the intro music. It's growing by the day, people. I feel like there's a lesson somewhere in there for the Washington football team with the name change. People come around as people have come around to the intro song for the Al Galdi podcast. Email from Charlie Asmar. He writes, we love the podcast. Can't wait to get back to F60 Green at FedEx Field and unleash hell on the Chargers. I love it, Charlie. Uh, He continues, something that has not come up with the media, which I think needs to, is Montez Sweat's journey to being with the Skins or team, whatever, just not Red Wolves. Montez was diagnosed with hypertrophic cardiomyopathy at the Combine. Once a top 10 lock slid right into our hands after we had to trade back into the first round to select him. This is big and definitely something he needs to monitor. While everyone is quick to criticize for selfishness, maybe we should take into account that Montez could react in an ugly way to the vaccine, which could end his career if it became serious enough. Not saying it is the case, but it is a discussion for why he would be hesitant to get the vaccine. I am surprised this is missed by so many reporters. Well, thank you for the email, Charlie. Thank you for your support of the podcast, Charlie. So I have talked about Montez Sweat potentially having this heart condition and that potentially playing a role in his stance on getting vaccinated for COVID-19. We believe that Montez Sweat is among those Washington players who has not gotten vaccinated for COVID-19. And if Montez does have this heart condition and that's why he doesn't want to get vaccinated for COVID-19, I have no problem with that. Heck, I have no problem if he doesn't have the heart condition and doesn't want to get vaccinated for COVID-19. That's his call. I mean, personally, I think he's wrong if he's perfectly healthy and doesn't want to get vaccinated for COVID-19. I think he may well not have a uh, true mastery of the facts if he's perfectly healthy and doesn't want to get vaccinated for COVID-19. But that's on him. I'm not him. I'm not here to dictate to him what he should do. But here's the deal with Montez Sweat and the heart condition. He may have it. He may not have it. He may have never had it. Here's what went down with Montez Sweat 
and the heart condition. So yes, the biggest concern with Sweat going into the 2019 NFL draft was a pre-existing heart condition that came to light at the NFL Scouting Combine in Indianapolis in February 2019. Per NFL insider Ian Rappaport of NFL Network and NFL.com, tests taken at the 2019 Combine revealed that Sweat may have had hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. Uh, That is a condition that results in the thickening of the heart walls. Doctors in Indianapolis measured nearly two centimeters of thickness. Sweat, in fact, did not attend the first round of the 2019 draft in Nashville. That further fueled concerns about the condition of his heart. However, Rappaport on April 25th, 2019, hours before the first round of the 2019 draft, reported that Sweat had recently met with Houston Texans team doctor, Dr. James Muntz, and that he told Sweat that he had been misdiagnosed with the heart condition in February 2019. So the bottom line is, we don't know if Sweat has the heart condition, and it's possible that he never had the heart condition. As best as I can tell, nobody has ever followed up on this. So you see, only on this podcast are you going to get the truth like that about something like the Montez Sweat heart condition. By the way, just one question at Ron Rivera's post-training camp practice press conference on Wednesday about Washington's COVID-19 player vaccination rate situation. Ron gave a very brief answer, said that he's encouraged by things moving in a positive direction. Uh, Speaking of that positive direction, it's now even more positive because on Wednesday night, ESPN reported that Washington has cleared the 85% COVID-19 player vaccination threshold as two more players had received their first shots of a COVID-19 vaccine. The last that we had heard was on Tuesday, multiple reports that Washington's COVID-19 vaccination rate among players was at 84%. Well, ESPN giving it to us on Wednesday night, the Washington football team now has cleared the 85% COVID-19 player vaccination threshold. So things are trending upward for Washington when it comes to the Rona. Much more on the Washington football team in just a bit. But first, the Wizards have gotten themselves a Dinwiddie. Well, it took a while, but at last, a Wizards deal for Spencer Dinwiddie is essentially done. The damn Washington Wizards. Yes, our Wizards. They are getting themselves a new point guard. NBA free agency officially began on Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern when teams could begin negotiating with free agents. It is on Friday at 12.01 p.m. Eastern, not at 12 and 59 seconds. No, 12.01 p.m. Eastern that teams can begin officially signing free agents. The NBA offseason is in full swing and the Wizards are getting themselves a Dinwiddie. Uh, And how about the specifics of the deal? We don't know everything uh, because the deal is not official, but the sign and trade reportedly will involve five teams. Yes, five teams. A five-team sign and trade. The sign and trade reportedly involves the Wizards, the Brooklyn Nets, the San Antonio Spurs, the Los Angeles Lakers, and the Indiana Pacers. And the belief is that the Wizards trade of Russell Westbrook to the Lakers is being included in all of this. Now, what still is not clear is whether the Wizards are keeping the significant pieces that the Wizards are getting back from the Lakers, including the three players, Kentavious Caldwell-Pope, Montrez Harrell, and Kyle Kuzma. But the reporting is that the trade involves the Wizards sending Chandler Hutchison and a 2022 second round pick to the Spurs, and the Wizards are sending a 2024 second round pick to the Nets, with whom the Wizards are swapping 
2025 second round draft picks. Nothing, and I mean nothing, in sports and probably in life is as overly complicated as the NBA offseason. The salary cap rules, the contract rules, the protected picks. You need to be Stephen Hawking to really understand the NBA offseason. Also, by the way, with the Wizards on Wednesday night, a re-signing. Multiple reports that Wizards unrestricted free agent point guard Haul Neto has agreed to re-sign with the Wizards. Uh, Neto was a good player for the Wizards this past season. The Wizards initially signed Neto as an unrestricted free agent last November. Uh, Neto was an NBA veteran. He had played for the Utah Jazz and the Philadelphia 76ers over a five-season NBA career, but he had the best season of his career this past season with the Wizards. Uh, Neto, this past regular season, shot 39% on three, shot 88.2% on free throws, played a good bid. Uh, This coming season will be his age 29 season, and in theory, he sets up to be the number two point guard for the Wizards with Spencer Dinwiddie as the number one. Now, Dinwiddie doesn't have to be your point guard. He can play off the ball, but the way this is looking is that the Wizards are acquiring Dinwiddie to be the team's point guard. The contract for Dinwiddie reportedly is going to be a three-year, $62 million deal. Uh, That is a lot of money, but that's also a fraction of what the Wizards were paying Russell Westbrook and before him, uh, what the Wizards were set to be paying John Wall with a Supermax contract extension. So the Wizards have created true financial flexibility for the first time in a while. What I like about Spencer Dinwiddie, three things. So number one, Dinwiddie was an elite scorer in his last full season. Dinwiddie in the 2019-2020 regular season averaged a career best 20.6 points per game and a career-best 31.3 points per 100 possessions. Sometimes the points-per-game stat can be misleading because if a guy's playing time shoots up, then the points-per-game inevitably go up. So what you want to see is, okay, if we normalize everything, where's the scoring at then? And if you do that for what Dinwiddie did in the 2019-2020 regular season, you still get a career high. Like I said, career-best 31.3 points per 100 possessions. Also for Dinwiddie in that 2019-2020 regular season, he was number nine among all NBA point guards in ESPN's offensive real plus minus metric, which is one of the better advanced stats out there for offense. Uh, Second thing I like about Dinwiddie, he is someone who can defend well. And I say it that way because Dinwiddie to me falls into that like 80% of the NBA in which if the mood is there and the coaching is there and the environment is there, the guy can be a very good defensive player. But if those things are not in effect, then the guy can slack off with his defense. And Dinwiddie strikes me as that type. But Spencer Dinwiddie is someone who has been a part of a good defensive team in recent seasons. Again, that 2019-2020 regular season, he played in 64 games and was number two on the Nets in minutes per game at 31.2. And this was for a Nets team that ranked 10th in the NBA in defensive rating, which is points allowed per 100 possessions per NBA.com. And then a third thing to like about Spencer Dinwiddie is the guy is an overachiever. And I always like athletes like this. He was taken by the Detroit Pistons in the second round of the 2014 NBA draft out of Colorado and has had himself a nice career. But there are things to be concerned about with Spencer Dinwiddie. So number one, he's coming off a partially torn right ACL. Uh, That's kind of a big deal here, okay? Spencer Dinwiddie underwent surgery to repair a partially torn right ACL this past January 4th. He, this past regular season, played in just three games. So where's he at from a health standpoint? You know, is this guy's knee never going to be the same again? Or is it because it was just a partially torn right ACL? He's back and in full effect this upcoming season. You would think the Wizards are comfortable with the medicals and doing a deal like this, but you have to be mindful of that. Spencer Dinwiddie is coming off a partially torn right ACL. 
Second thing that is at least somewhat worrisome about Spencer Dinwiddie is that he's not a very good three-point shooter. And in today's NBA, uh, that's a big-time negative for a player, especially a guard, if the guy isn't a good three-point shooter. Spencer Dinwiddie has shot just 32.2% on threes over the last four regular seasons, 2017-2018 through 2020-2021. That's a pretty sizable sample size. You know, everyone is entitled to a bad season here or there. This is over his last four regular seasons. And yes, this past one, he only played in three games in it. But still, uh, 32.2% on threes for Dinwiddie over the last four regular seasons. And then number three, uh, Spencer Dinwiddie, you know, he's not old, but he's also not that young. Uh, This coming season will be his age 28 season. That's not ancient by any stretch, but just understand, like you're not getting someone who's 23, 24. You are getting someone who's going into his age 28 season. And like I said, is coming off a partially torn right ACL. Now to the bigger picture of what the Dinwiddie acquisition means for the Wizards in the Eastern Conference. Well, you tell me, Does a team led by Bradley Beal and Spencer Dinwiddie scare the Milwaukee Bucks? Mm, Probably not. Are the Wizards, now that they're getting Spencer Dinwiddie, going to be so good this coming season that Beal will have no choice but to want to stay with the Wizards for the rest of his career? Mm, Probably not. Although Beal may have already decided that he isn't going anywhere. So, you know, maybe the Wizards are like, hey, look, we can build this thing with the long term in mind. You know what? We don't have to go all in for this coming season because Bradley has told us that he is committed to us for the long term. You know, there's information here that we don't have. So that's why right now it's difficult to truly judge what the Wizards are doing without knowing everything that they know about the status of Bradley Beal. But what does now seem apparent is that the Wizards, instead of trying to build an Eastern Conference contender via loading up on stars, are trying to construct an Eastern Conference contender via loading up on depth. You know, the Wizards' approach right now seems to be, let's get away from being top-heavy, i.e. Bradley Beal and John Wall, i.e. Bradley Beal and Russell Westbrook, and let's try to start really being deep, and let's try to beat people with depth. And, you know, that's kind of going against the grain in the NBA because we know it's been a star-driven league forever. But there is some logic behind this idea of a depth approach. The Atlanta Hawks had that going on this past season. Yes, Trey Young is a star, but who else is a true star on the Hawks? And yet the Hawks advanced to the Eastern Conference Finals. So this approach can work. I mean, the East is such that I think a variety of approaches can work in terms of trying to make the Eastern Conference Finals. I don't know that the depth approach is the best approach to winning an NBA championship, but if the Wizards can do something that gets them to the final four of the NBA, that is progress, okay? That is significant. I mean, remember, our Wizards have not advanced past the second round of the NBA playoffs since 1979. That is an incredible fact when you say it out loud. I do like a lot of the pieces that the Wizards have. I'm a big fan of their 2021 first-round draft pick, Corey Kispert. I'm a big fan of Daniel Gafford. I like a lot about the Wizards' previous two first-round picks under Tommy Shepard, Rui Hachimura, and Denny Abdia. You know, Thomas Bryant is coming off a partially torn ACL of his own. He suffered a season-ending partially torn left ACL this past January. But there's a lot to like with Bryant. You know, he's a modern big. He can shoot the three. And speaking of shooting the three, maybe, just maybe, our guy, Davies Bertans, uh, will show up in shape for this coming season and have a bounce back season. Maybe that's pie in the sky, but I'd like to think that the Davies who we saw just two seasons ago, the 2019-2020 regular season, still exists. I mean, Bertans two seasons ago was outstanding. He That regular season averaged a career best 24.6 points per 100 possessions and shot 
42.4% on threes. He wasn't close to that guy this past season of signing, remember, a five-year, $80 million contract last offseason. But I'd like to think that the Davies Bertans of the 2019-2020 season can be on display come the 2021-2022 season. And if, in fact, that's the case, then you're really cooking with something here if you're the Wizards. So you know what? It's the NBA offseason. Can we try to be at least a little optimistic with our basketball team? I do really want the Wizards to be good, truly good. You know, not 42 win good, but 50 win good. You know, that's another thing. The Wizards haven't won at least 50 games in a regular season since that 1978-79 season. Let us see what this sign-and-trade for Spencer Dinwiddie that's more complicated than a health insurance policy ultimately looks like. And let us see if maybe, just maybe, Wes Unsell Jr. can get the Wizards to be good defensively and be something that the team hasn't been in 40-plus years, a legitimate threat in the Eastern Conference. The damn Washington Wizards! Yes, exactly. All right, so the Washington football team on Wednesday announced updated stadium policies and protocols for games and events at FedEx Field for the 2021 season. An announcement for you, the Washington football team fan. For the fans. Yes, for the fans. Thank you, Vinny Serrato. There were a variety of policies and protocols that were announced. For instance, FedEx Field now is cashless. Quote, patrons at FedEx Field will have the chance to enjoy great food and beverage options throughout the stadium with cashless payment. Payment via credit slash debit cards with scan slash chip and mobile devices will be accepted at all points of sale. End quote. Uh, The announcement dealt with the wearing of masks. Quote, face coverings are recommended for FedEx Field guests who are not vaccinated and optional for guests who are vaccinated. These mask guidelines may be updated consistent with applicable local regulations and or FedEx field policy, end quote. And also dealt with in the announcement was approved fan attire at FedEx field. Read the announcement, quote, we are excited to welcome everyone back wearing their burgundy and gold. However, Native American inspired ceremonial headdresses or face paint may no longer be worn into the stadium, end quote. It was this last item that got the most attention because it was this last item that obviously deals with the name change from Redskins to Washington football team to whatever the permanent name ends up being. You know, one of the many great options out there, Beacons, Belters, Wayfarers, Ambassadors, Griffins, Swifts, Rubies. You get the idea. Remember, those name candidates that I just gave to you, I'm not making those up. Washington football team season ticket holders in April received a variety of versions of a survey from the team pertaining to the name. Among the many named candidates on those surveys were those names that I just mentioned. Yay, Washington Belters. Uh, Anyway, I have no problem with the Washington football team announcing that, quote, Native American-inspired ceremonial headdresses or face paint may no longer be worn into the stadium, end quote. Doing that kind of thing even before the name change was questionable, even though people didn't do it out of malice. I mean, one of the most beloved fans in Washington history is Chief Z, who dressed up in a Native American-inspired way for years, and I don't think that anyone believes that Chief Z had any ill will in dressing as he did. But the thing with Washington no longer allowing Native American-inspired ceremonial headdresses or face paint is that that wasn't something that a lot of people did 
I mean, at any given Washington football game over the years, how many fans were sporting Native American-inspired ceremonial headdresses or face paint? I mean, you tell me. I know that many of you have gone to FedEx Field for plenty of games. I have too, but I was doing a post-game show at almost all of those games, so I have not experienced FedEx Field the way that so many of you have experienced FedEx Field. So let me know, at any given game at FedEx Field over the years, how many people were actually sporting Native American-inspired ceremonial headdresses or face paint? Uh, My guess is not many, but you tell me. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. So, I mean, this new edict from the Washington football team to me is not that big of an ask. Washington telling fans to no longer don Native American-inspired ceremonial headdresses or face paint. The showdown that's looming, and maybe this is a showdown that ends up never happening. Hopefully, this is a showdown that ends up never happening, is Redskins gear. Would the team currently known as the Washington football team ever actually ban people from wearing Redskins gear at Washington football games at FedEx Field and or at the next stadium, wherever that is and whatever that's called. The issue did come up just a few weeks ago. Washington football team president Jason Wright on July 12th told Washington football team insider Matthew Paris of the Washington Times in response to the question of how the team will handle fans wanting to wear old Redskins memorabilia, quote, we haven't yet determined how we will handle all past and remaining references to our name, end quote. Now, I have a hard time believing that Jason Wright, who I do believe is a smart guy, would actually try to ban people from wearing Redskins gear at Washington games. I have a hard time believing that Dan Snyder Even Tanya Snyder, the uh, acting CEO, as far as we're told, when it comes to the Washington football team right now, would approve a ban of people wearing Redskins gear at Washington games. Trying to ban people from wearing Redskins gear, i.e. Redskins jerseys, Redskins shirts, Redskins hats, would be ridiculous, would be an absurd overreach and would do nothing but anger a fan base that has been angered plenty by this franchise over the last 25 years. The team known as the Washington football team has made who knows how many millions of dollars over the years selling Redskins jerseys, Redskins shirts, Redskins hats, etc. All of a sudden now, you're going to tell people who've spent their money on these things that those people can no longer wear these things? All of a sudden now, you're going to make it so that if a fan wants to wear a Washington jersey to a Washington game at FedEx Field, that fan's got to spend new money on a new Washington jersey? To say nothing of the general intent behind wearing Redskins gear, the general intent isn't, nor ever has been, malicious. To say nothing of how it remains debatable whether the name should even be changing to begin with, because there's still reason to believe that many, if not most, Native Americans liked the name Redskins. To say nothing of the near impossibility of policing a ban of Redskins gear at Washington football games. I mean, what are you going to do if hundreds of people show up to FedEx Field with Redskins gear? Tell them all to go home? I mean, how would you prevent someone from sneaking in a Redskins jersey or a Redskins shirt and then putting it on once he or she is inside the stadium? It's unrealistic to think that you could ever truly enforce a ban of Redskins gear at Washington games. The announcement from the Washington football team on Wednesday made no mention of Redskins gear. And that's the right way to play this. 
you don't have to have a policy for Redskins gear. To me, you really shouldn't have a policy for Redskins gear. When the permanent name gets announced in early 2022, there will be, from the team, an all-out push to sell gear with the new name and logo. If the team does the name change right, the new name and logo will be things that people like or at least can get into. Sell a bunch of new jerseys. Sell a bunch of new t-shirts. Sell a bunch of new hats. And over time, the new merch will replace the old merch, especially if the team is, you know, actually good. Uh, But any notion of any kind of a ban of Redskins gear at any point is a bad idea. I would be surprised and disappointed if the team ever tried to pull that off. A ban of Redskins gear at Washington football games at FedEx Field. For you, the Washington fans. For the fans. Yes, Vinny, for the fans. Well, a big Washington football team fan and a big supporter of this podcast is Dr. Matthew Mintz. You know, if Jason Wright is smart, he'll consult with Dr. Mintz on the name change, although Dr. Mintz has a few other things going on. He is an internal medicine and primary care physician who is rated as a top doctor by both Washingtonian and Bethesda magazines. If you need a regular doctor, Dr. Mintz is accepting patients in his concierge practice. Dr. Mintz also offers something very special and groundbreaking in the treatment of depression called Spravato. Spravato is a new FDA-approved medication shown to be safe and effective in patients with what is called treatment-resistant depression. You see, while most patients respond to traditional prescription medications for depression, up to one-third of patients do not improve even after two or more medications. This is called treatment-resistant depression, which can be debilitating for patients and lead to thoughts of suicide, even suicide attempts. If you or someone you know is dealing with treatment-resistant depression, understand it doesn't have to be this way. Spravato is a nose spray administered in a doctor's office. Unlike most pills that can take weeks to work, Spravato can start working right after the first treatment. And because Spravato is approved by the FDA, Spravato is covered by most insurance companies. Dr. Mintz will work with your insurance company to make sure that Spravato is approved and understand that for most patients, the cost of each dose is only $10. Yeah, $10, totally worth it to get your life back. And for patients with Medicare, Medicaid, or Kaiser, or with an insurance that doesn't cover Spravato, Dr. Mintz is also able to administer nasal ketamine, a nose spray similar to Spravato, and that treatment should cost less than $10 per treatment, even without insurance. Spravato can only be administered in authorized healthcare settings, and Dr. Matthew Mintz is one of the few physicians in the DMV who is authorized to administer Spravato in his private Bethesda office. Dr. Mintz and his staff will monitor you closely throughout your treatment to ensure your comfort and safety. You can find out more by going to drmintz.com, that's D-R-M-I-N-T-Z.com, and clicking on the Spravato link. But if you, a friend or a loved one, have depression that is not getting better with traditional treatments or medications, there's no need to continue to suffer. Contact Dr. Mintz to find out if Spravato may be right for you. You can call Dr. Mintz's office at 855-646-8963. That's 855-646-8963. And make sure when you call to mention this podcast, the Al Galdi podcast, because doing so will get you $50 off your initial consultation. That phone number again, 855-646-8963. There's no need to suffer from treatment-resistant depression. Contact Dr. Matthew Mintz and tell him that Al Galdi sent you.
All right, so Washington football team training camp continues at the team facility in Ashburn. One week from Thursday night, by the way, is Washington's preseason opener. Yes, Thursday night, August 12th, is Washington's preseason opener. Washington at the New England Patriots, Thursday night, August 12th at 7.30. Some injury updates from Washington training camp. Jonathan Allen was back out there at practice on Wednesday. He had been dealing with a hamstring, so good news there. Matt Ioannidis was back practicing on Wednesday off having been activated off the reserve COVID-19 list on Tuesday. Kyle Allen did remain out off having tweaked his surgically repaired left ankle on Saturday. Ron Rivera at his post-practice press conference on Wednesday did get asked if Washington was considering signing a quarterback to add to the competition, uh, given that Allen had been out for a few days. Well, we don't expect Kyle to be out that much longer. It is day-to-day, um, you know, and, and right now, Steven Montez is getting some extra reps, so he's trying to take advantage of him. All right, so hopefully Kyle Allen is good to go soon. Samis Reyes, by the way, still dealing with a tweaked knee. So we, on Wednesday's installment of the podcast, episode 115, talk Samuel Cosme. The way that Ron, at his post-practice press conference on Tuesday, talked about Cosme, who is, of course, a rookie, uh, sure seemed to suggest that the starting right tackle job is Cosme's to lose. Take a listen. A guy like him with what he's done to date has been very, very encouraging for us as far as his opportunity to play for us right away. Yeah, some strong comments right there. So that was Ron on Tuesday. This was Ron at his post-practice press conference on Wednesday on how much growth he has seen from Cosme in training camp so far. A lot. I really have, especially because of who he's practicing against and how he's been practicing. You know, uh, I like the fact that he, he, he's, he's not backing down from anybody. I like the fact that he's challenging, I like the fact who he's practicing against because he is getting a high-level education right now. Yeah, and Ron also made that point on Tuesday. Cosmian training camp has been going up against Chase Young and Montez Sweat. That's how you get better. That's how you accelerate your development as an offensive tackle, continually battling against two stud edge rushers in Chase and Montez. I mean, you think about Washington in the glory days of the 1980s. Don't you think that it helped Joe Jacoby to constantly practice against Dexter Manley and Charles Mann? Absolutely. Same idea here for Cosme with Chase Young and Montez Sweat. Because as we know, nobody could block Dexter, not consistently. Is there anybody that could block you one-on-one? I haven't seen it yet. Not consistently. Not consistently. Yes, not consistently. Not consistently. Exactly. Not consistently. Uh, All right. Ron on Wednesday did get asked as well, point blank, if he thinks that Cosme has the potential to be a starter. Yes, he does. But he's got to continue to work and continue to show us and continue to have the success that he's having in his development and growth. Yeah, again, strong comments from Ron Rivera, from Don Ron on Samuel Cosme. I will say what I said on Wednesday's show. It may already be too late for Cornelius Lucas to lay his claim to being Washington's starting right tackle. This competition may well have already been decided during Lucas's stint on the reserve COVID-19 list. So Cosme, Washington's second round pick in the 2021 NFL draft is standing out at Washington football team training camp so far. And Washington's first round pick in the 2021 draft also has been standing out. Jamin Davis, one of the visuals that Washington football team training camp practice on Wednesday was Ron Rivera speaking with Jamin Davis for a while after practice. Jamin is, of course, a rookie, but he's already being entrusted with the role of Mike Linebacker. He's already being leaned on as the quarterback of Washington's defense. Ron, at his post-practice press conference on Wednesday, on what his conversation with Jamin was about. 
you know, I was very fortunate. We had a, a guy named Luke Keekley that was in the same situation. And, you know, so in talking to Jamin, I, you know, I use some of those examples about it, about, hey, it's okay, you are a rookie, but it's okay to be up there, be that guy, to be that leader. Um, and, and that's what he's done, and I just wanted to reassure him. Yeah, snapshots like that from training camp are interesting to me. A moment like that from Wednesday, Ron talking to Jamin after practice. You wonder about the impact that a conversation like that can have. Not to be overly dramatic, but who knows what a conversation like that ends up meaning to Jamin Davis. Maybe this coming season, there's a big spot in a big game. Jamin sees something, trusts his instincts on that something, at least in part because of that conversation with Ron on Wednesday. You got to remember this with Jamin Davis. He was only a starter at Kentucky for one season. Jamin Davis was only a starter at Kentucky for his 2020 junior season. He has gone from being a backup at Kentucky to now being Washington's Mike Linebacker, to now being the quarterback of Washington's defense. That is a huge leap in a period of less than two years. Another front seven player who stood out during Washington's training camp practice on Wednesday was James Smith-Williams. So as you may recall, Ron at his post-practice press conference on Saturday had some good things to say about James Smith-Williams, or as Ron said, James Williams-Smith. Very confident what we've seen from, 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 from James Williams-Smith. Yes, that guy, whatever his name is. Well, Ron on Wednesday, again, had nice things to say about James Smith-Williams. You see him starting to step up a little bit more. You know, it's going to be important, too, because, you know, he, he's going to you know, he's going to be part of a rotation. You know, we had a veteran guy here last year that, you know, had a tremendous career. And, um, you know, he's got big shoes to fill. So, you know, he's, he's going to have to, you know, do the things that he needs to do to, to give himself an opportunity and give us a chance to have a third guy as part of a rotation. So how about what Ron said in that cut? He essentially said that James Smith-Williams is poised to fill the role that was occupied by Ryan Kerrigan last season. First edge rusher off the bench. Now, Ron wouldn't even say Kerrigan's name, uh, called him a veteran guy who had a tremendous career. Take a listen. You know, we had a veteran guy here last year that you know had a tremendous career. Yeah, I thought that was funny. Ron wouldn't even say Kerrigan's name. But Ron, in that cut, pretty much said that Kerrigan's role from last season now is James Smith-Williams to lose. In fact, Ron then got asked if he now views James Smith-Williams as serving Kerrigan's role from last season. Uh, potentially. I mean, that's what we're looking for. I mean, because truthfully, you get into a game, you really want to rotate everybody, but you want a third that you can truly rely on. Yeah, no doubt. Now, of course, Chase Young and Montez Sweat are going to play a ton for the Washington football team this coming season, assuming good health, uh, which we cross our fingers and pray to the football gods for. But Chase and Montez aren't going to each play on every Washington defensive snap this coming season. Just to use last season as a guide, Chase Young last regular season played on 73.68% of Washington's defensive snaps. Montez Sweat last regular season played on 66.32% of Washington's defensive snaps. James Smith-Williams very clearly is emerging as a riser in Washington training camp. And he did play some last season. Smith-Williams in the 2020 regular season played on 9.38% of Washington's defensive snaps. Also ranked number three on Washington in special team snaps at 63.24%. Washington took James Smith-Williams in the seventh round of the 2020 NFL draft out of NC State. Washington took Cameron Curl in the sixth round of the 2020 draft out of Arkansas. Curl, of course, one of the most pleasant surprises 
for not just Washington, but the entire NFL last season. Nobody benefited more from Landon Collins' season-ending torn Achilles than Curl did. Landon is back, is having a strong training camp. And while nothing is set in stone, something that's become impossible to ignore is that Washington in training camp has been going with quite a few defensive alignments in which Collins is the strong safety and Curl is the free safety. Curl last season mostly played as a strong safety, although there was a lot of wiggle room within that. He played this spot called the Buffalo Nickel. If you go by Pro Football Focus, Curl in the 2020 regular season played at least 150 snaps at each of three spots, box safety, free safety, and slot corner. Curl very much offers, yes, position flex. Position flex. Yes, position flex. And that goes back to Curl's time at Arkansas. Cameron Curl at Arkansas played both strong safety and corner. So the notion of Curl playing free safety for Washington this coming season isn't far-fetched at all. Ron on Wednesday on the value of a guy with as much, yes, position flex as Curl has. That, I think, is something that, 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 that is, is unique to guys that have that skill set. Um, it is exciting when you, when you do have a guy that plays a safety position that played corner at one point in his career because you know he's got cover skills um, beyond being in the post or being in the half or being in the quarter. You now have a guy that has a skill that, hey, I can drop down into a zone and understand the concepts and then turn around and place a man and, and be able to cover a, a tight end or a back a little more closely, a little more tighter. And even in a situation if he ends up on a, on a, on a big wide receiver, uh, he can run with. Uh, you know, and, and then you take a guy like Bobby McCain, who's a little bit smaller, um, and he ends up in the slot, ends up on a wide receiver, you appreciate that because, again, that's a safety that had played corner, that had played nickel. Yeah, and Bobby McCain is another Washington defensive back who offers position flex. McCain with the Miami Dolphins played free safety as well as nickel corner. You could argue that no Washington position group is more competitive than safety, but if there is a Washington position group that's more competitive than safety, that position group is receiver. Terry McLaurin, Curtis Samuel, who has yet to practice in training camp, uh, Adam Humphreys, Cam Sims, Deyami Brown, Antonio Gandy-Golden, Kelvin Harmon, Dax Milne, DeAndre Carter, and then there is Steven Sims. Yeah, remember him? Remember that guy? It has felt for months, really ever since Washington signed Adam Humphreys in March, that Steven Sims was unlikely to make Washington's season opening roster. 2019 undrafted rookie out of Kansas. He was a bright spot in Washington's dreadful 3-13 and 2019 season. Sims, over the last five games of that season for Washington, had 23 receptions for 259 yards and four touchdowns on 40 targets. The four touchdowns came over the final three games of Washington's 2019 season. You may recall this too, Steven Sims in Jay Gruden's final game as Washington's head coach, the 33-7 loss to the New England Patriots at FedEx Field in week five of the 2019 season, had a spectacular touchdown run, a first quarter, second and eight, 65-yard touchdown run on an under center handoff run on a fly sweep. Just a tremendous play by Steven Sims, who broke three tackles en route to the end zone. Also, Steven Sims in his 2019 rookie season was number seven among qualified players in the NFL and yards per kickoff return at 25.6. And then everything went wrong for Sims in the 2020 season. He missed four games due to a toe injury. 
He was guilty of a bunch of drops. He was abysmal on punt returns, including having way too many muff catches slash fumbles. He did have a great touchdown catch in the loss to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field in the wild card game. The drive that followed Taylor Heineke, having just gotten his left shoulder taped up, resulted in a Heineke fourth quarter, third and 10, 11-yard shotgun touchdown pass to Sims, who did a really good job of dragging his left cleat to stay in bounds in the end zone. And this coming season would only be Sims's age 24 season. He is young. He is still relatively inexperienced. Is there still hope for Steven Sims making Washington's season opening roster? Hard to say. He has flashed, though, in training camp so far. Ron Rivera, at his post-practice press conference on Wednesday, got asked if training camp can serve as a reset of sorts for a guy like Steven Sims. Oh, most certainly. Because, again, you know, for us coming in as a new coaching staff, and looking at everybody, that was a first glance. Now we've had a year under our belt. We had a relatively um, normal um, OTAs and mini camp sessions, and now we're having a relatively normal training camp situation. And you see guys, and what you're looking for is that next step. You know, did they learn from last year? Are they improving from last year, or are they digressing? And you know, when you watch a guy like Steven perform the way he is and has lately, you you, you do see the jump. So that's, that's a huge step, and it's, it's, it's part of our, 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 our judging and, and, and watching and grading um, as, he, as, as these guys go through it. Why did Steven Sims have a bad 2020? Ron, on Wednesday. I think having to learn and, 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 and re-understand um, our concepts. And I shouldn't say re-understand. I should just say learn our concepts and understand our concepts. So one of the notable aspects of Washington training camp practice on Tuesday and Wednesday was officials being in attendance. You'll see this in training camps, officials being in attendance to give players better ideas of the rules, how those rules are being enforced. Uh, Washington, of course, has some young defensive backs, right? In Jimmy Moreland, Benjamin St. Juice, Cameron Curl, Jeremy Reeves. So you would think that they especially could benefit from the officials being in attendance. This was Ron Rivera on Wednesday. They're, they're getting a feeling and understanding just how handy they are getting from, from the referee's perspective. And that's the most important thing because, again, you know, we ask the referees to interpret. And when they see it, you know, they've done a great job helping us by pointing it out. Yeah, you know, one of the more interesting truisms in the NFL is that there is no correlation between defensive penalties and defensive success. Like intuitively, you would think that, okay, a defense that commits a lot of penalties must ultimately not be a very good defense. Not true. Uh, A defense that commits a lot of penalties isn't necessarily a defense that isn't good. And one of the reasons for this is that if you are a defense that commits a lot of penalties, chances are there are plenty of penalties that you commit that don't get called. And so you end up getting away with plenty of penalties. Also, committing a lot of penalties can't be a function of being aggressive and physical. And those are two traits that clearly can bode very well for a defense. But of course, you as a defense don't want to get called for a lot of penalties. So if you can operate with a better understanding of the rules and how they are enforced, that's a good thing. And that probably can help you get away with some things. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Well, a new low for the Nationals in the 2021 season. They now are 10 games below 500. If you're a Nats fan, I would encourage you to ignore that. Uh, The record isn't important right now. Look away. Cover your eyes. Do what you must do because the record is likely to only get worse. 9-5 loss to the Philadelphia Phillies at Nationals Park on Wednesday night in Game 3 of a four-game series. The Nats are in danger of being swept in this four-game series by the Phillies. The Nats now are 49-59 and with a run differential of minus 34. But the Nats' season off the massive sell-off of last week isn't about outcomes of games. The Nats' season off the massive sell-off of last week is about who's doing what. The Nats' season off the massive sell-off of last week is about the potential building blocks and what they're doing. The way I've been talking about the Orioles throughout their season on this podcast, that now to me is the way to talk about the Nationals for the rest of their season. And to that end, Wednesday night was a good night. So if you're a Nats fan, you got to try to separate the outcome, which was an ugly 9-5 loss, from the goodness that was the youth movement on display on Wednesday night. Victor Robles, Carter Keboom, and Luis Garcia combining for four home runs. That was good. That matters. If Robles, Keboom, and Garcia prove themselves to be viable pieces, viable building blocks for the Nationals moving forward over the course of the rest of this season, that's a win. Like, to me, if you're a Nats fan, if that was guaranteed to you on a piece of paper right now. Many things will go poorly for the Nationals the rest of the way, but one thing that will take place is that Robles, Keeboom, and Garcia will prove themselves to be legit building blocks for the Nats moving forward. I would sign that piece of paper in a heartbeat if I'm a Nats fan. Unfortunately, sports don't work that way, but that to me is what matters maybe more than anything the rest of this season, what Robles, Keeboom, and Garcia look like and do, and all three did well on Wednesday night. So Robles was back as the Nats starting center fielder and number one batter. He went one for three with a solo homer and a walk. Robles had a first pitch leadoff homer to left field in the bottom of the first. So the first pitch thrown by the Phillies uh, to the Nationals in this game resulted in a Robles homer, just like the first pitch thrown by the Nationals to the Phillies in game two on Tuesday night resulted in a homer. Patrick Corbin's first pitch being deposited into the seats by Gene Segura. But this was some shot by Robles. The homer went and projected 424 feet per stat cast. The homer was just Robles' second homer 
this season. He has hit for like no power on the year. Robles, as we speak, has a slugging percentage on the season of just 296, which is atrocious. But that homer was impressive. So good for Victor for doing that. He also drew a good-looking leadoff four-pitch walk in the bottom of the third inning. Carter Keeboom continues to sneakily hit rather well in this latest go-round at the major league level. He has become the Nats' everyday third baseman. He was a number eight batter on Wednesday night, and he went two for four with a solo homer and an RBI single. Keeboom had a two-out first-pitch solo homer to left field in the bottom of the second and going back-to-back with Luis Garcia. Keeboom's homer going a projected 410 feet for Stadcast, and then Keeboom had a two-out RBI single in the bottom of the ninth inning. And Garcia who was the Nats starting second baseman and number seven batter on Wednesday night, hit two solo homers. He had a two-out solo shot to right field, bottom of the second, going back-to-back with Keyboom. And Garcia had a leadoff homer in the bottom of the seventh inning. So it's one game, right? We're not going to go too nuts over this, but this is what matters right now. Like This, to me, is the way to view these Nats games. Who did what? Not did the Nats win or lose, but who did what? And the who did what on Wednesday night is led by Robles, Keyboom, and Garcia combining for four home runs. Now, beyond those guys, there wasn't much to like with the Nationals offensively. Nats did get those four home runs, but the Nats' only other three hits in the game were singles. Uh, The Nats worked just two walks in the game. The Nats went just one for five with runners in scoring position in the game. And the Nats were sloppy in the field. Three errors, including two by the returning Alcides Escobar. He had missed each of the Nats' previous four games due to a hit by pitch. He was the Nats' starting shortstop and number two batter on Wednesday night. Did have a two-out six-pitch walk in the bottom of the fifth, but he had two errors, including a two-out throwing error in the Phillies' one-run eighth inning on about as routine of a grounder as you'll ever see. I mean, the grounder was maybe a little slow. Maybe Escobar felt a little rushed in trying to make the throw, but otherwise, I mean, the thing was hit right to him, and he ended up making an errant throw. Juan Soto has not been very good lately as a batter. I don't know if Juan is feeling sorry for himself with the sell-off. I don't know if Juan is just in the midst of a funk in what has been a funky uh, season for Juan Soto. Like at times, he's been lights out. Other times, he's been uh, pretty pedestrian. And he's back into one of those pedestrian modes. I mean, you know, it's all relative, right? And Soto's overall numbers for the season still are really good. But Juan Soto on Wednesday night, 0 for 4 with a strikeout. He left three men on base. Soto in the 5-4 Nats loss to the Phillies at Nationals Park on Tuesday night, one for four with a single. Soto in the 7-5 Nats loss to the Phillies at Nationals Park on Monday night, one for three with a single and an intentional walk, but he struck out twice in that game. Like his only hits lately have been singles. He's drawing some walks, but you know, a good bit of them are intentional walks. Uh, people can mount the horse of, well, he's not being properly protected in the lineup. First of all, lineup protection is largely a myth. Second of all, Josh Bell is doing a good job behind Soto. Now, Bell didn't do well on Wednesday night. He went 0 for 4. But like this idea of nobody is hitting well around Soto in the lineup, that's not true. Josh Bell has been hitting well. Uh, Soto's just looked out of it here lately. I think he's trying. I don't think it's like he's giving up on the season. I think it's just been a weird season for Juan Soto. And Juan Soto, who had never really been a streaky batter coming into the season, has been very much a streaky batter so far this season. Uh, also, Riley Adams, interestingly, was an ad starting catcher and number six batter on Wednesday night. He went 0 for 4, but I bring this up because Riley Adams is another one of these guys who the Nats got in the sell-off of last week. Riley Adams made his major league debut in that 5-4 loss to the Phillies at Nationals Park on Tuesday night. Struck out on five pitches for the final out of the game as a pinch hitter, but he was out there as an ad starting catcher in this game on Wednesday night. And that's got Adams uh, from the Toronto Blue Jays in the trade of Brad Hand 
last Thursday. So the Nats, who have had like no catching depth for the longest time in terms of prospects, right? The Nats catchers for years have been guys who the Nats had to either trade for or sign as free agents. You know, think Jan Gomes, think Kurt Suzuki. All of a sudden, the Nats have Kiber Ruiz. He is the Nats' number one prospect. He's a catcher. He's playing for AAA Rochester. The Nats have Tres Pereira, who's done a nice job for the team over the last few weeks. And the Nats now have this guy, Riley Adams, who was the Nats' number 13 prospect per MLB pipeline at the time of him being recalled from AAA Rochester this past Tuesday. The Nats' starting pitcher in this 9-5 loss to the Phillies at Nationals Park on Wednesday night was my guy, Paolo Espino. And uh, my guy did not pitch very well in this game. In fact, you could argue this was his worst outing of the season. He's been such a pleasant surprise on the year. Uh, it's honestly surprising he didn't have an outing like this sooner, but this was bad. There's no sugarcoating this. Six runs in five innings, and he got hit hard. Paolo got pounded on Wednesday night. He allowed eight hits, a homer, four doubles, and three singles. He issued a walk. He issued a hit by pitch. He did have three strikeouts, but he threw 90 pitches over the five innings. Like what we've grown accustomed to with Paolo is he works quickly, he works efficiently. You know, he's not a guy who throws a bunch of pitches, he's a guy who throws a bunch of strikes. And he just did not have it in this game on Wednesday night. Did not do a good job of keeping the ball down. I mean, you look at what happened in the top of the third inning. Paolo in that inning gave up four runs on four doubles and a single. How often does that happen? Four doubles in an inning like that. And then Paolo gave up two more runs in the top of the fifth. One-out single by Bryce Harper, who, by the way, is having a very good series. Followed by a one-out two-run homer by Reese Hoskins to the second deck in left field. The homer when it projected 434 feet for StatCast. And then also in the inning was Paolo issuing a two-out, eight-pitch walk of Alec Bohm. So an un like performance from Paolo on Wednesday night. Even with the outing, though, his ERA for the season is 366. Like, even with an outing like that, six runs in five innings, the guy still has an ERA under four on the year. So he's been a bright spot for the Nats, but he did not have a good game on Wednesday night. Three Nationals relievers were utilized by Davey Martinez on Wednesday night. Those guys combined to allow three runs, two earned in four innings. Jeffrey Rodriguez allowed two runs in two innings. Top of the seventh, he issued a one-out hit-by-pitch of Reese Hoskins, followed by a one-out first-pitch two-run homer to D.D. Gregorius. Hoskins and Rodriguez, by the way, jawed at each other as Hoskins rounded the bases. I don't know what Hoskins' problem was. I mean, no, he wasn't happy about being hit by the pitch. The pitch did sail near Hoskins' head, so I can understand that. You're a little shaken up by that. But that wasn't done on purpose. Jeffrey Rodriguez doesn't know where like 90% of his pitches are going. You think he was trying to hit Reese Hoskins there? No way was that the case. And the pitch ultimately barely grazed Reese Hoskins. So I don't know why he was so sensitive about what went down, but they were uh, jawing at each other pretty good. Uh, like I said, as Hoskins rounded the bases. Javi Guerra allowed an unearned run in the top of the eighth inning on that throwing error by Alcides Escobar, and Andres Machado tossed a scoreless top of the ninth inning. Look, the Nats weren't a good team before the sell-off. They're only going to be worse post the sell-off. Uh, you know, they're still going to be relevant in the National League standings because, as we keep saying, the division isn't very good. But this team, this Nationals team, isn't very good, and we're seeing that here in this series. Nats in danger of being swept over the course of the four-game series. Game four against the Phils at Nationals Park Thursday afternoon at 4.05. Joe Ross versus Aaron Nola. Uh, Ross is a guy who you want to be following here over the course of the final two months of the Nationals season. Uh, Ross is someone like Soto, very up and down this year. The good has been great, but the bad has been awful. And we had uh, some real bad from Joe Ross in his last outing. 6-3 loss to the Chicago Cubs at Nationals Park on Saturday night. Five runs, four earned in four and a third innings. Ross has made 18 starts this season. He has an ERA of four 
but he has five starts in which he's allowed at least four earned runs. He has seven starts in which he has allowed zero earned runs. So feast or famine with Joe Ross on the season. We'll see what he ends up doing on Thursday afternoon. All right, two other Nationals-related items I wanted to get into here. So we had a lengthy conversation on this podcast in the last installment of it. So the Wednesday show, episode 115, about the Nationals not having extended slash re-signed more of the team's homegrown stars, right? Off the Nationals trading away Trey Turner. So why didn't the Nats do more to try to lock up Trey Turner to a long-term deal? And the point that I conveyed was that, hey, I know it hurts to lose a guy like Trey Turner. He's a very good player. But the truth is, these mega money contracts for players going into their 30s rarely work out. And so that brings us to Anthony Rendon. And how about what came out regarding Rendon on Wednesday? The Los Angeles Angels announced that Rendon was set to undergo season-ending surgery to repair right hip impingement. Rendon this season, the second season of his seven-year $245 million contract with the Angels, what is his age 31 season, ends up playing in just 58 games, ends up batting 240, ends up slugging 382. Those numbers are terrible. Anthony Rendon now is done for the season with what is a pretty serious ailment, a right hip impingement. And this for a guy in Rendon who wasn't exactly a pillar of durability during his time with the Nationals. Anthony Rendon has played in 150 games or more just once over the last seven regular seasons now. He's a great player. And I don't bring this up to like gloat over him getting hurt. I wish him nothing but the best here. But this is another item of evidence in the case of don't do it, just don't do it when it comes to paying mega money to guys as they go into their 30s. And as I said in the Trey Turner conversation in episode 115, the first free agent season for Trey Turner is his, wait for it, age 30 season. Teams go wrong in paying big money to guys in their 30s for what they did in their 20s. And it's happening again with this Anthony Rendon Angels scenario. So I did want to hit on that in our national segment on this show, episode 116. I also wanted to make mention of this. So did you have any idea that Major League Baseball on Wednesday was putting out its 2022 regular season schedule? I didn't. Most people I know didn't. MLB just dropped this out of nowhere on Wednesday. And I tweeted this, and I felt this way for a while. If you're at all curious how and why the NFL is such a bigger deal than Major League Baseball in 2021, look no further than each league's schedule release. And I know, it's apples to oranges, right? The NFL regular season now is 17 games. MLB's regular season is 162 games. But the point is this. The NFL does such a great job building up its annual schedule release. The pomp and circumstance that come with the NFL's annual schedule release, I know make for a punchline for a lot of people, but the truth is the NFL does an outstanding job marketing the schedule release. The NFL has done such a good job of turning something as mundane and whatever as a schedule release into an event every year. That's a big deal in the NFL offseason, the schedule release. Conversely, you have MLB, which releases its schedule every year in the middle of the ongoing season, releases the schedule during some random day during the season, 
and releases the schedule to zero fanfare, zero buildup. Again, nobody had any idea that the MLB schedule was coming out on Wednesday. Now, look, are most people going to go nuts over, ooh, who are the Royals playing on August 24th, 2022? No, I understand that, but that's not the point. In this day and age in which leagues and entities compete so fiercely for people's disposable incomes, you have to fight, scratch, and claw for every inch of that pie. You have to make things a big deal when you do them, okay? You have to sell yourself. MLB does such a bad job of selling itself. I mean, MLB has its own network. MLB Network. How do you not at least come up with, you know, a one-hour, two-hour special on MLB Network of the schedule release show? And no, you don't have to spend, you know, the entire show breaking down who the Rockies play next September 3rd. But how about, you know, you make it a two-hour show, you release the schedules, you have some interviews, you talk about the ongoing pennant races, you make it a thing. You know, MLB does nothing to make the schedule release a thing. And this is one of these things to me that, yes, it's a small deal, but it's representative of a much larger deal. MLB has no clue how to market itself. Say whatever you want about the NFL. The NFL is brilliant at marketing itself. Things like the schedule release, the draft, the scouting combine are all really big deals. Heck, the NFL this past Saturday, did you watch NFL Network this past Saturday? The NFL this past Saturday did a whole big training camp day. That's what the NFL does. MLB can't get out of its own way with stuff like this. And man, that just really stood out to me on Wednesday when I saw that the MLB schedule for next season was coming out. I'm like, what? Who knew that this was coming? Uh, Just amazing. Well, the Orioles, they on Monday night began a three-game series at the New York Yankees with a 7-1 win, after which manager Brandon Hyde called the game, quote, our most complete game of the year in all phases, end quote. Uh, Well, the Orioles ended up getting obliterated over the final two games of the series at the Yankees. 13-1 loss on Tuesday night, 10-3 loss on Wednesday night. The Orioles on Wednesday night used six pitchers. Every single one of those pitchers charged with at least one earned run. That's hard to do. That doesn't happen often, and yet that's exactly what happened. Uh, The O's now in American League worst 38-69 and with an AL worst run differential of minus 150. So Matt Harvey, this was the talking point going into this game from an Orioles standpoint, at least on this podcast. Would Matt Harvey continue the scoreless inning streak? He went into the game with a scoreless inning streak, incredibly, of 18 and a third innings. And you know what? He ended up making it a thing. Uh, Harvey, in this 10-3 loss at the Yankees on Wednesday night, allowed two runs in four innings. But the two runs came in the bottom of the fourth, The first run was scored with one out in the bottom of the fourth. So Harvey's scoreless inning streak did reach 21 and two-thirds. He did get that scoreless inning streak into the 20s, 21 and two-thirds consecutive scoreless innings. But no, he only ended up lasting for four innings. He did end up giving up two runs, and the Orioles ended up getting slaughtered. Uh, in this game. But good to see old Harvey at least do a little bit of a something in this game. The success didn't last long in the game, but the success lasted long enough to where he got that scoreless inning streak up to 21 and two-thirds. Ryan Mountcastle had a solo homer and an RBI sack fly on Wednesday night. He had a really good series. He was the Orioles starting first baseman in all three games in the series. He went six for 11 with two homers, two doubles, and two singles. You know, we talked during our national segment about, okay, what matters, who matters down the stretch. Ryan Mountcastle has very much mattered for the Orioles throughout this season. He's a prized prospect. You want to see him deliver on that promise. It's been an up and down season for him, 
but it's back to being up here. Big series at the Yankees, big series in the four-game split at the Detroit Tigers in the previous series. Mount Castle in that series started each of the final three games as either the Orioles' first baseman or DH. in the series went six for 13 with a home or a double and four singles. So Mount Castle over the Orioles' last two series, a combined 12 for 24 with three homers, three doubles, and six singles. No game for the O's on Thursday. They, on Friday night, begin a six-game homestand with game one of a three-game series against the Tampa Bay Rays at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. John Means will be the Orioles' starting pitcher on Friday night. And oh, by the way, Keegan Aiken already is back in the Orioles' rotation. We, during Wednesday's show, episode 115, talked about how Aiken had been demoted to the bullpen. Well, he's already back in the rotation. O's manager Brandon Hyde in a pregame press conference on Wednesday said that Aiken is replacing Alexander Wells in the Orioles rotation off Wells having been optioned to AAA Norfolk on Tuesday night when Wells gave up six runs in two and a third innings in that 13-1 loss at the Yankees. See, this is the kind of year it is for the Orioles pitching. The Orioles pitching this season is so bad that even a demotion can't last long. All right, my friends, that will do it for you and me. But just for now, keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Friday show, episode 117, will feature a special guest, Washington football team insider, Ben Standig of The Athletic DC. He's been at these Washington football team training camp practices, will tell us what he has been seeing. And Ben knows the Wizards well, so we'll get his take on the Spencer Dinwiddie acquisition and what it perhaps tells us about our Wiz. Have a great rest of your Thursday. I'll talk to you on Friday. I haven't seen it yet, not consistently. Not consistently. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour 3-Month Emergency Food Kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.